Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome back to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We have a really exciting, super fun, can't wait to have this conversation coming at you right now. This is Melissa, your American dental hygienist host. And this is Tabitha, the dental hygienist from Australia, as you can tell by my voice. I wonder if that, like your, like all your Australian buddies, like all of our Australian disruptors, if they're like, oh, her American accent is so American when I talk. <laughs> I'm so used to your accent, so it's like I don't even, and I love it. it well, I think because we watch so much American TV, I don't hear it as much because that's what's on our television all the time. But when I hear, when I listen back to our podcast, I think, oh my god, my voice. <laughs> no, please don't feel that way. I love it. Anyway, we've we've done what Melissa and Tabitha always do, which is digress already on our intro. <laughs> Uh, we have an amazing, amazing hygienist joining us today for an interview. I wish we had sound effects so we could like, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> her name is Pamela Sargent and I got to meet this rock star almost two years ago already, Pam. I can't believe it. Um, as we came together in our Airflow GBT love and um, it's been such a pleasure having Pam in my crew. It's been so amazing watching her grow and flourish. And um, she's been doing some amazing stuff up in Maine because she has the ability to independently practice. Uh, just a little, I know you've heard us talk about it before um, for our Australian listeners and, and anyone who is not an American hygienist. We have a lot of limitations to our license in this country. So Pam's one of the lucky ones where she gets to practice independently where she resides so she's going to share with us her journey as to how she's launched her own independent dental hygiene practice and all of the badass stuff she's doing there. So welcome, Pam. We're so happy to have you on our show. I am so happy to be here. It's like I listen to you girls every single podcast and I'm talking along with you and being like, oh, exactly. I know the whole time. So it's such a pleasure. Love Thank it. you You're so much sister. for having me. Um, so it's amazing. So um, tell us a little bit about how, like, why did you get into dentistry? How did you choose this field? And, and like, how'd you get here? Yeah. So I've been in dentistry since I was in high school. I was a assistant. Um, I went to a vocational high school and it was a medical assisting type of program, but I always was interested in dental. So I start, I was actually um, part of the reason why our technical high school now has a really great dental assisting program. So um, instead of going and becoming a phlebotomist or a CNA, I did my rotation at a dental office and um, loved it. I <laughs> One uh, funny story that I have that I'll always, always remember is that he basically, he was an old school, um, you know, uh, dentist from the army and 
he basically was like, here's a polisher. I'm all done with this patient. Go ahead and polish their teeth. So I'm in this big contraption with all these pulleys. Like that was like his root canal chair, you know, cause it's the slow speed pedal type of drill type of thing. So this was the late eighties, mid to late eighties. So of course I had really big hair and I'm polishing this patient and all of a sudden, I'm like, what's going on? The drill or the polisher got stuck in my hair. And this is like the first week. And I'm like, can you, Dr. Kushner, can you come here for a second? Here I am stuck with a drill to my head. The patient's looking at me like, what is going on? He's like, no problem. He just hits reverse and out it comes. And, and then I finish polishing. So. So anyway, um, it was no lie, girl. I have the no same lie. story. When I first started dental assisting, the old school doc had a pedal drill and he would hang it up and my hair would get stuck in it all the time. So that kind of is where I started and um, <laughs> decided that I'd go to hygiene school and I went right out of high school and um I, it ended up not being the best time for me to go. <laughs> I had way too many friends and like, just, just did not do well. My first, uh, I did really great the first year, but then the second year I was just having way too much fun. And so it kind of was a blessing because it took me, um, I worked at a really um, busy downtown practice in Boston it, wherever I wanted to go, I could go with being a dental assistant, you know, the knowledge base. And I ended up in rural California and then down in the Sacramento area and then up here in Maine. And um, I guess I was probably in my late 20s when I decided I'm going back to school. Um, maybe I'll go back to nursing school. So I went to the talked with the um, counselor at the college and she was like why don't you just go to dental assist uh, dental hygiene we can get you right in this semester I'm like okay probably a better idea you know so uh went back and uh graduated in 2001 and I'll never forget that day like I had no idea but they're like I'm like what's this gold rope for they're like oh you're like honors like I'm like oh really like no idea <laughs> <laughs> so just um, dental stuff has always been something that I just gravitated to and love. I love the science behind it. And I feel like in dental hygiene, you're doing some really, really important stuff. But the other part is like, I'm not going to kill the patient. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as far as the like, is concerned, you know, like it's like a good, like, nine to five in a sense. And um, there's so much to it. I just love it. I love it. I love the patient connection and I love the knowledge that I'm learning all the time. It's so, like, <clears throat> well, you know, and I've heard you guys talk about on other podcasts that I could so relate to is that I need change. I need constant change. Like I can't be and want, I can't be doing the same thing all the time. And, um, that kind of led me to where I am today because I uh, I had a unicorn office, but it just was like, I need more. I need to do it my way. So I love that. that. So tell, us, yeah, tell us it's such that's such an amazing story. And it's just so cool because like we all have our journey. 
you know, and, and you never know until you just like dig in and ask, like here, I just said, I've known you for almost two years, but I didn't know that whole story. So that's really cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, and that's where the me too moments come, right? When we, when we dig in and like share, oh, yeah. but so tell us a little bit about that, like your unicorn office and, and what like really prompted you to, to just say, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to open this up. I'm going to do my own thing. So um, when COVID hit, it was just after you and I had met, Melissa, honestly. I mean, we met in January, and then by March, we were shut down. Yep. And I was to the point where, you know, working four days a week, 10-hour days, my body was, you know, after 20 years, my body's starting to say, yeah, you can't hold that suction like that anymore, or you can't work at nine o'clock anymore (laughs) kind of thing, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. so for three months I had off and I'm like, man, my body feels really good. And, um, why am I going to go back full time and end up having to go off on disability? Because that's what was going to happen. And, um, so I decided that I wanted to go part time, but how am I going to go part time? Because I mean, we make, pretty good money and working four days a week. That's like hard to come up to that amount. And um, so there was an, there's a, another dental independent dental hygienist, uh, Linda Salter, that's up in um, Waterville. And she had, she has already injured her neck and she had about 10 years of patients of her own independent. And she had been, you know, out there on the Facebook groups pretty heavily saying, I need help. I'll pay you well, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'm going to take Danny, my airflow and go up there and and try to introduce something new. And um, so we connected and she's awesome. I still work up there two days a week um, and uh, patients are loving the whole GBT and all that. And um, so I had been working for about six months and I'm driving home and I'm like, Cause it's about a 45 minute drive, nice drive, but it's still, it's 45 minutes. Um, and I'm like, why aren't I doing this for myself? <laughs> like, I'm making good money, but like, I, I want to be able to use a microscope. I want to be able to use a laser for bacteria reduction. Um, you know, I want to do things a little differently. Um, and the parameters that I have up there in Waterville aren't the same as how I want, wanted to practice. So, um, I started looking for a space to rent and I realized, why am I going to pay five, $600 a month to rent a place and still pay off my equipment and do all of that? Why don't I just think about like, how do I do this at my house? Cause I have a pretty big piece of land that I live on and, um, and I love my gardens and I just, I just love my home. <laughs> I never want to leave. So uh, there's an Amish community about, I don't know, about 45 minutes away and they build these backyard buildings. They're beautiful. It's like my little she shed. Um, It is like a 12 by 20 pine building and it came all insulated and wired and um, just rustic beams. So it just really um, fit where I wanted to be. And I just had this vision as how I wanted it to look. And it far exceeded how the way that it came out far exceeded how I could ever envision it. It's really, it's just like, I like to just hang out in here, (laughs) but, but, um, 
<clears throat> yeah, so I just decided I'm going to do it my my way, and that's what I did. I, I got my building and just started to um, advertise a little bit on Facebook. I haven't done any real paid advertising, but I'm getting people slowly, and I, I think the whole whole health hygienist is really something that is awesome for us as hygienists. And um, I've really held on to that and gravitated to that. And I think that's why I'm so in love with you guys, because you're so smart about that stuff. <laughs> and you're just, uh, you know, it's just great to have you guys in my corner in a sense. So it's nice. <laughs> So you've gone to the 30 second work commute now, and, <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> it is. It's That's perfect. so awesome. I know Pam and I were, we were chatting on the phone and she's like, oh yeah, I have some time before my patient. And then, you know, of course our conversation went like on and on and on. She's like, oh, I gotta go. My patient's going to be here. <laughs> but like, how amazing is that? That like, you're right there and, and just the, that you have control and you get to do it your way and you're centering your care around healthcare. And that's what is so amazing. Yeah, I, it really is. And I and I really just want to be an inspiration to other hygienists because especially in the state of Maine and honestly, and in, in our whole in the United States, I really would like to see more reciprocity, um, more um, uh, standardized scope of practice. Um, we just we have so much to offer. And I feel like we um a lot of us can get really stuck in a rut and um, you know, we have this huge hygiene shortage in the U S well, <clears throat> if we were all under the same scope of practice and could practice anywhere, I think that would really help that shortage. Just like a nurse, you know, a traveling nurse nurses can go anywhere. Why can't we, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah we have, um, as we've talked about before, we've got, uh, national registration and it really makes you know you can just change states you can move you could go on a working holiday and work around if you wanted to and I'd only see massive benefits which is amazing in the states if you could get the same yeah yeah right. there's, there's definitely you know I feel like this energy in the U.S. right now because COVID has just brought so much to light and this is one of the things and I don't when I say this I don't want to pigeonhole all of dentistry in this because there are some really great dentists out there who really understand that hygienists have this limitless capacity and are really essential to building a healthy practice. So please understand that I am not saying this is a one size fits all comment, but a lot of dentists, unfortunately, don't utilize us at our capacity. And we're just there to like pump out, you know, it's not the quality, it's the quantity. It's like, how many asses can we get in the seat today in and out as fast as possible? So it's like there's mm -hmm. that miscon okay. there's that like misconnection and in, in of what we're truly there for. And I I feel like it's a power thing. You know, I think that that's a big part of why we don't have this national license or the ability to work independently is just that that we're we're still supervised. We're still under their thumb because they see they don't want to let us know how profitable we truly are to the practice because that gives us too much power. But we know it like we get it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and the same thing is, you know, dentists have to run a business. I mean, that's a big overhead, too. You know, I get that. Um, 
for sure. And um, and they didn't go to school I knew, for business. And, and they they need to have, right. And they definitely need to have our hygiene chair filled. And my whole thing is my first appointment is two hours long. Like I spend time with my patient um, and patients appreciate that. And um, I, I feel like if we could have that in dentistry and a, a private practice setting, um, our, the trust that we gain in that first appointment, it, it speaks volumes, you know, as far as um, production down the line, you know, as far as that's concerned. So, um, but like you said, there's some great dentists out there that recognize that. And, and I also recognize that they need to run a business and I need to run my business too, the way I want to run it. And that's why I did what I did, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I have two questions. Um, one, where in the, where are the three states that you're allowed to have independent practice in America? So you can in Colorado, uh, Maine, and I believe to an extent California they can because um, I know of a, a friend of mine that actually she was a traveling hygienist that went to nursing facilities, nursing care homes, that you know, that kind of thing. And I think they also have um, a type of status that, hygienists can have their own practice in California too. Is that what you, uh, is that what you I know of, um, Melissa? I think also Washington state has something like that. Cause I know Kyle Isaacs. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of her. She, she does a lot of traveling and treats geriatric patients. So, and mm -hmm. I, I think she has the same kind of, and I, I think she's in Washington state. I know she's on the West coast. I don't know hundred percent. We should get her on too. She's yeah. awesome. Um, but yeah, so it's so, it's so small. Yeah. And the second question is I wanted to know, cause the, the big issue in Australia is we have independent practice, but we can't charge a health fund directly. We need a dentist oh. to still do it for us. So, um, we have to have a relationship with a dentist to help us, or you've got to try and go it alone without insurance. How does that work in America? So, um, it, it, it can go either way. There are some dental insurances that will recognize us as a provider and pay us. Um, Northeast, I know, I know. Uh, Northeast Delta Dental is really good and they have something called How Benefits, um, which is health through oral wellness. So I am just such a fan of Northeast. I know. You do a risk assessment for these patients and if they qualify either due to periodontal issues or... Um, uh, caries issues or decay issues, they can come up to four times a year. You can do sealants. Yeah, you can do sealants, fluoride treatments, no matter the age. So it takes away the age limitation and it takes away the frequency and give, gives it up to four um, prophies um, or gingival um, inflammation, you know, with that type of thing and periodontal maintenance up to four year, uh, four times a year. So that's awesome. But then you go to Delta Dental of New Jersey and they don't recognize us as providers. Yeah. Uh, neither yeah. does um, Wisconsin. Like there's some of some of them that do not. So what I do in my practice is um, I don't want to chase insurances. Um, so I have the patient pay me up front. I send it to the clearinghouse for them to be reimbursed directly. So the check will go right to them type of thing. Yeah. So. Yes, smart. Which I think um, is a good I, thing. I love the health through oral wellness. 
Oh, I do too. And I think every, I want to say there are quite a few deltas that have some type of, um, you know, a program like that, not necessarily called how benefits, but they do have some type of benefit like that. Most Delta dentals do. So. It's so funny to me that this isn't just like the standard because um, there's a study that Cigna did in like 2011. I think they published it in 2013 that went through and they showed the link between improved oral, uh, between improved health outcomes from more frequent periodontal treatments. So I think it reduced like overall medical expenses by like 50% they found. And it was just an internal study they did of all of their members. So it's like, hello, the science is there. The data is there. Why isn't this just for everyone? Like why is like Tabitha said this on a few episodes ago that like dental insurance and dental health is like a luxury, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of people don't have this benefit and a lot of people don't have access to care and, you know, private practice dental offices. I mean, let's, let's just be totally honest here. They don't want patients who can't afford to come in or pay their, you know, they don't have dental insurance to pay for their treatment. And I get it. It's a business. You don't work for free, but like, how do we close that gap? Like there's, there's so much wrong with that and we could be helping so many people. So how do we, how do we do this better? I know. I I feel like it's just, you have to take the leap and just go to no insurance, but you're right. Like then you're really limiting your capacity to help everyone. It's only going to be the people that can afford it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it is, it's a broken system. Well, Dentistry needs to just be, it has to be added in your regular, it shouldn't be segregated. You should have health insurance because we don't like take, the head off the body and come back and pick it up like a dry cleaner. Like it's all connected. Right. So like, why, why do we not just have one, but now we're, we're going off track, which we normally do. Well, it it does um, lead me to, I don't know how it is where you are, Melissa or tab, as far as um, a lot of dental offices in my area are doing in-house plans, you know, like you pay monthly and you, that includes your, two um, preventative visits and your x-rays and your exams and your fluoride um, per year. And then you get a a percentage off any restorative that you need, like 12 or 10% off of restorative. I don't know if you guys are seeing that at all where you guys are. My practice. Yeah. My practice does that. We have our own membership plan. And um, it's funny because we, I had a patient who, had, um, he was an older gentleman. I think he's like in his seventies. He's got a compromised dentition, partially edentulous and you know, money is a big issue for him. So I was like, well, he was on, we have like a health plan and then we have a perio plan and he was, he didn't need quadrants, but he needed to come in every three months. And he didn't, he, he was no longer, and he's not healthy patient. He's compromised. So I was like, let's move him to perio maintenance. And my office manager was like, but you didn't do quadrant scaling. I'm like, this is our program. We get to make the rules. He doesn't need that, but he is not, he, he does not qualify for a profi. He's not a healthy patient. So like we just switched him, and now he's coming in and getting the care he needs. We're starting to see some improvement. And then um, we just, you know, with, with having uh, the airflow now in our practice, 
I want to even, you know, change our like have different membership options for like our geriatric patients who who could benefit so much from just coming in one or two times a month and just letting me airflow because they just don't have the dexterity to do biofilm management those healthy. And, And we have that chronic inflammation and that bleeding and so much biofilm just laying right on their teeth. You know, like I could see them in a half an hour be done and and just improve their health, you know, mm-hmm. and keep them out of, you know, the the emergency room, pro- probably reduce their risk of aspirated ammonia, like pneumonia, I can't speak. Um, <laughs> so like there's so many things that we could be doing when we have, you know, we created it, we can make it anything. So right. I love that offices are doing that because they're boxing out the, the insurance companies who put all these like strangleholds on us and what we can do. Well, I, I totally agree with that. Like, and it's so backwards how in order for someone to be perio maintenance, you have to do scale root planing. So, you know, you have to do a perio code before they can be a perio maintenance and the hoops they make you jump through when I feel like they don't even for perio maintenance uh, procedures, their usual and customary fee is the same as a pro fee, you know? So it's, it's just, and then they only they only cover half of that if it's a perio code, you know. So, just the whole system is broken. I I want to know a little bit because obviously one of the things that Melissa and I um, love about you is how you're doing that full body hygiene. You know, you've got the two hour appointment and you're you're really looking at lots of different things. And we'll talk more about the microscope and the laser later. But how did you get on that journey? And how did how did you find your way going down that path? As far as the longer appointments, you mean? Oh, no, like how did you go from, you know, I don't think we learnt this at hygiene school. These are things that we've all picked up independently. So how did you get on the journey of really realising that we need to be looking at the full body and not just calculus looking? How did you oh, become yeah. a healthcare hygienist? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess it's just that I am just a dental nerd and I watch YouTube dental videos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My family makes um, fun of me when my feed is on because we have like everybody has their accounts on the TV and they're like, ew, mom's is all teeth. <laughs> I know my fellow like has bushcraft and how to like make shelters and like wood sawing. And then here I am with how to take an, a good biofilm sample. And <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think just, I think it honestly all started with getting involved with airflow and the science of biofilm and um, kind of shifting away from traditional methods as hygienists that we've always known. Um, I think that uh, just diving into doing uh, GBT and seeing the biofilm and really educating my patients, um, I wanted to give them something even more tangible than just um, you know, mature biofilm that's colored purple in their mouth, you know? And, um, so that kind of led me into looking at, um, using the microscope and, um, and being able to see what's actually in there. And the case acceptance from that is just, you know, no one wants to see a bunch of activity on a flat screen. It's like uh, immediately they're like, get it out of there get it out. You know? it's, it's like the best 
it's the best patient motivation in existence. And I don't get why this just isn't standard of care for everyone. I know. And again, it's back in that time, time stuff. Like I don't, I don't charge to look at someone's biofilm. And um, just because of the fact that I want to give my patient as much information that, um, that they can handle in a sense, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't handle the truth, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want them to have, um, I want them to know what's going on and it's a great way to connect, um, you know, Oh, you, you haven't been able to control your A1C levels. Well, this might have something to do with it. And, um, so, that is, that's why I got into the microscope. Um, I had already been utilizing uh, the laser um, in private practice, and it just seemed like something that, um, that needed to be added to my protocol. And uh, if, if as needed, I wanted to have it there as another tool if I need it, um, other than my airflow and perioflow and, and that kind of thing. So and quite honestly, I haven't even needed to use it yet. <laughs> we, were giggling, we were giggling at work yesterday, actually, because I was showing my boss some slides of a microscope. And I'm going to say something explicit, so I'm sorry. We'll put the explicit one on. But he said to me, that looks like sperm in her mouth. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot wait to meet him one day. Like I, I... And he goes, oh, gross. And I was like. He goes, what patient wouldn't want that out? Exactly. It really does. It looks disgusting. I said, I hope I never find any in the microscope. <laughs> well, you know what? Like that's, but that's legit what's happening. They're making babies in your mouth. <laughs> I, was like, oh, I was like, oh, God. That's so nasty. <laughs> but it really did. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. I have one particular area that I, oh, I, you know, I'm now I'm uh, a half a century old. So of course, you know, I have like areas where I'm like, oh, food stuck in there. So I'm like, every time I get something out there, I'm like, maybe I should go look at this under the microscope. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. I would be running from my house too. <laughs> to the scope. Well, when I first got my microscope, it's like anyone that came in the door, I'm like, hey, can I take a look at your plaque? You know, I'm coming at them with like toothpicks. Let me take a look at that. Let's make a slide. Funny. Oh my gosh. I love it. So let me, I'm so interested in um, like how, how hard was it for you to like research the scope, get it set up, kind of create like a workflow to implement it? Was it really hard? Was it like moderately hard? So um, I went, I, I asked around about microscopes and um, and what I needed to do and, you know, how to see what I needed to see. And um, I had some great mentors in a sense that um, helped me with a lot of information, um, um, you know, the, the power and, you know, where you needed to be for the setting. Um, I really, really wanted a really nice, expensive microscope, but, um, obviously starting a new business, um, with not a ton of capital, I had to really, um, decide where to draw the line with certain things. Um, and so I just start, I just typed it in Google search, you know, and, um, 
and came up with what I came up with. And I, and I, I, it does everything that I needed to. I, I, I probably invested about, I'm going to say about $1,200 in my microscope. And that includes a wireless camera um, that, um, you know, I, I can put right up on the flat screen and, and patients are like, whoa, you know, <laughs> so, so um, that wasn't too, too hard. The flow, as far as when I use it, um, I'm just picking up uh, a couple weeks ago, I just realized, because, you know, we do pre-procedural rinses. Well, um, I use closest and for 30 seconds to a minute, I'm killing a lot of these bacteria. So my slides, some of them, I saw a lot of uh, spinning rods, that kind of thing. But I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's like a spirochete that's not moving because it looks like it could be. And then so I discontinued the pre-procedural rinse. And what I do is I end up doing um, probing and biofilm collection at the same time. And then I put that under the microscope. And then after we look at it, then they do pre-procedural rinsing before I start using any type of aerosol, that kind of thing. So that is what works for me. And honestly, it takes about, I mean, to I mean, as I'm probing, I'm finding the deeper pockets and that's where I'm putting my um, biofilm on my slide. I mean, a total between probing and looking at the slide, it's seven minutes you know, and um, seven to 10 minutes. Is, no, not at all. And I'm getting a lot done in one, in one swoop kind of thing. So that's, um, yeah, because that, the important part is your research, right? Like we, we don't, I, I, it always baffles me when I hear or see hygienists who just like dig in and start debriding. It's like, how do you even know where you're going if you don't collect the data first. Yeah. You right. need a GPS. You're, you're probing your radiographs or your GPS as to what you got to do and where you got to go. So like, I love that you've been able to like streamline this. So you like, you're adding more in because every hygienist is like, don't give me more to do. Right. Because we're already like maxed out as it is, but like you figured out a workflow where you're still the biggest, the most important part of our appointment is the research, right? Because like if we don't research, how do we tell a patient, I need to see you every four months? And this is why. And this is the connection right. that it is with your health. And this is the risk factors you presented me with. So this is how we be a healthcare hygienist. And this is how we treat you at root cause of disease, not the symptoms. So right. it's it's just amazing how, like, I love hearing, like, the little tweaks about how you even, like, switched up your your procedure with your pre-rinse, which, uh, shout out to Closis. Hey, your stuff really works. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I have a question. Well, the other thing again. that I really want to look into um, is ozone and ozonate water. Say that again. Yeah. Can you take a photo of that slide and store it in the patient's file so you can be comparing between appointments? I can. I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I was just wondering because then you like you can look at that progression between appointments, you know, is that bacteria changing? Is it getting worse? And because I put like disclosing pictures like next to each other all the time. And you know, it'd be good to have that combination of, of oh, together. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I um I it's funny because I am I opened the end of May, so really I've been doing my thing now for about two and a half months, I guess. Yeah. And um and it's a new business. So I'm not like, there's not people 
um, you know, storming down my door kind of thing, but um, which is kind of nice because now I get to spend time with patients and I, I have to temper myself because I'm like, I want all the patients. I want them all right now, you know? <laughs> but then the other part of me is like, no, take your time and enjoy this time so and make this the way you want it because I don't want to see more than three patients in a day. I, I, I want to have quality time with my patients. And um, I'm old enough now that um, I, I can do things the way I want to do them. And I, I've got to temper myself sometimes that way. So, yeah, well, because you're so passionate about this, you get really excited and you're like, I want to help all the people, I, I know. you know, I know. <laughs> but um, I, it's amazing how like it's a journey. It's it's always a journey. And and like we just had a conversation at my practice yesterday about that because we're two months into implementing our airflow and the whole GBT protocol, which by the way, if you are listening to us for the first time, we keep saying GBT. And in case you don't know what that means, it's guided biofilm therapy. It's a treatment protocol that is done with technology called the Airflow Prophylaxis Master, where we manage biofilm prior to removing calculus for a more thorough, less invasive um, treatment outcome. So, um, but like we, you know, we're talking about like, hey, you know, we're, we're uh, our appointments aren't moving generally in the, the way that we'd like them to. We don't, we, we really pride ourselves on being on time for our patients and, and we're kind of lagging on that a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a work in progress and we will, we will get to, maybe we're not doing all the things like taking as many pictures as we would like of our befores and afters, but we'll get there. It's like, you know, we have to streamline it and it takes time. It's not like you don't go to 110% like right off the bat. And I think people forget that. And I think that's one of the things that gets our profession burnt out because we feel like we got to do all the things we got to do all the things perfect. And that's not the reality of life. It's a learning yeah. journey. No. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you tell us? Oh, sorry, go. Ahead. Well, I was just going to say how I, I think we get so burnt out on all the things that we stop looking for new things and yeah. better, better ways to do things. Um, that is that is where the whole the whole I love change comes into. Um, and I mean, <clears throat> how many of us are doing thorough head and neck exams? that's a, a big thing. Like how many of us are doing blood pressures at every appointment? Um, I had a patient just two weeks ago that um, he had throat cancer um, due to HPV and he's going on five years now that um, he's cancer free, but that's how it was found. Early detection is so yeah. key. And that once you kind of find something in someone, then you're like, holy shit, I really need to do this every patient. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, same with seeing um, carotid artery stones on, um, on a Panorex. You know, that's a big thing. And how many of us know what that looks like? And, right. um, and unfortunately, I found this on a patient and... I basically, my doctor was like, you need to go see your primary care physician because you see this, you're a stroke waiting to happen. So he goes to see his primary care physician and they're like, um, if that's not 80% blocked, you're just like any other 65 year old man. <laughs> and I'm like, what? That's like the whole other, like, 
the whole other part of this is yeah. why are we working together with physicians? Yeah, we have no, yeah, we have no into interdisciplinary we need relationships. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's mm -hmm. funny because if you read Beat the Heart Attack Gene, doctors Bale and Donine will tell you scanning the carotid artery is a better um, assessment for uh, your art arterial health and risk factors for cardiovascular disease than our traditional stress testing is. So here you're going above and beyond. And that's, and that's where we get frustrated, right? Because we know better. So we're doing better. And then we tag off to our partners and they're like, no, you're fine. And it, that's where another level of burnout comes in. Yeah. A hundred percent. And yeah. that's something that we really talk about all the time in all our episodes. And it's a theme that I really want to have in all the episodes is that interdisciplinary care and us working together and being medical hygienists, part of the medical team, and really, I think the way it's going to happen is really, I think hygienists are going to be the push that changes it. Yeah. I don't think it's going to come from dentists. I think it's going to come from us because we're the yeah. ones that do it the most already. We're the ones that, you know, write about the perio health to their GP because they've got diabetes or speak to their cardiologist and do those things. But we all have to keep that push, right. I think, you know, to get that the tide to change a little bit so that they start writing back to us and they start... You know, they start sending us a letter going, oh, just so you know, we've recently changed, uh, you know, cardio meds and this has not been going wrong. What's the gum health been like? You know, how, you know, yeah. really oh. back, you know, I write a lot of letters. I don't get a lot of information. I sometimes do, but not a lot. But how good would it be if we were kind of constantly in that communication and it wasn't lots of people working separately, it's lots of people working together. And I think um, where some of that is going to come into play is um, naturopathic uh, clinicians. The first naturopathic doctor was actually a dentist. So that I thought was the coolest thing when I was speaking with an area naturopath. And um, so, and I think also in our area, we have a huge prevalence of Lyme disease and what's associated with Lyme disease are spirochetes. So I um, am, I, I've been writing a lot of letters to naturopaths and um, the uh, DOs that are treating, are specializing in um, Lyme disease and saying, listen, let me know. I'm I'm here to do this kind of thing. If you want to know where they're at, as far as are they spiking, let's take a peek in their, um, you know, in their mouth and see what's going on prior to giving them the antibiotic to see what's going on. So I think there's a, there is definitely some room for that. I think uh, we're going to get a little bit more headway with um, more naturopathic and, and teaming up with them too. So just like there's unicorn dentists, it's there's unicorn physicians too, but um yeah, yeah, for sure. And when you think about limes, like the treatments, doxycycline, what's the low dose, antibiotic we give to chronic periodontitis, doxycycline. So, you know, there's so many connections with that. We have um, a great episode in the future coming up with Dr. Alvin Dannenberg. We're going to be interviewing him and he has this book, uh, Crazy Good Living. He's a periodontist who also went on that path. Like you said, he's a health coach as well. So um, that's going to be coming up in the, on a future episode. We're going to be chatting with him, but that's like the same kind of mindset that you're speaking of. Yeah. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. And um, I have a question for you, Pam, going back to the biofilm and the microscope. 
So you, you obviously you find the biofilm and you've done a lot of research on how to identify it properly and do that. How do you communicate this with the patients? Like how does that communication work and and how you explain it to the patients and things like that? Because I'm quite interested to hear that. I really try to, because I'm gathering the sample as I'm period charting, I, I have a pretty good idea whether or not it's going to be active or not. So I preface it by saying, you know, we're looking for activity on this slide and um, if I throw it up there and it's and it's pretty quiet, not a lot of stuff going on at all, um, then I just say, you know, you look really good, but you have bleeding, so I still want to see you back in four months. <laughs> but if there's a lot of activity up there, I will yeah. let them know, you know, these are pathogens or bacteria that are going to affect your overall health. This may be why that you're not able to keep your... Um, your blood sugar is regulated or, you know, um, your rheumatoid arthritis is bothering you a little bit. So let's treat today. And um, I want you to come back. And I usually say in about a month, I don't, why are we waiting three months? Like I, why wouldn't I have them back in a month's time to um, have another, what I call biofilm management appointment, um, check the healing, um, check the pockets, uh, and then also check the, the bacteria. If there's still activity, then I'm going to, and what I've already explained to them is, you know, we may want to take a sample of this and send it to a lab, see what type of bacteria this actually is, really pinpoint it and how aggressive it is. Um, so that's usually how the flow goes. Um, for that's a question That's a question that I have for you too. Like when you see like this spirochetes or what have you, so like, was it hard for you to learn how to identify that? And then also, do you know which of like the red complex or orange complex that's connected to, or do you have to take a sample to figure that um, out? So for me anyways, it's easy to identify. I mean, they have very specific traits. Um, you know, spinning rods versus spirochetes, you know, um, that kind of thing. We know that we have billions of bacteria, but to really pinpoint which type of bacteria, the exact type, we need to take paper points. We need to do a, a, a sample. Um, we, so that's where that comes into, into that, you know, as far as um, needing I don't know exactly what it is when I see it, except that I know basically the broad type. I don't know the specific. Um, gotcha. So. Gotcha. That's where it was like, I was always questioning that point because I mean, I get the visual and the identification of the microscope, but I didn't know if you had that ability to like, okay, this means this. So I totally love the, the testing. I love the fact that like, I'm going to throw another, another name drop out there. Uh, Jennifer Siders company, Microblink DX. Like I love that hers is site specific. You're putting the points right into the area where there's a pocket. Um, and then that she gives you this amazing printout and tells you exactly what's there. If it's beyond threshold. And, and then she gives you a whole um, narrative as to like how you could treat and, and which bacteria are um, as she says, scaling, resistant. So you have a whole protocol attached to that. Is that what you found too when you do samples? Yes, that is what I, that's where I want to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> when I get to that point, when I get to that um, point, that's, and I, that's exactly who I use for a lab. Um, 
like I said, I'm still pretty new at my practice. So I haven't gotten to that spot yet. But that is my written protocol for myself. Yes, that is exactly it. As far as um, sending up. You're amazing. Because it's like in, in all the Facebook groups, everyone hates it when someone advertised like you're a rock star hygienist. So we need to come up with a new name I know. for somebody who's just like amazing. How about just badass? You're so badass, badass. Kim. <laughs> well, you're part of my badass podcast. Oh, good. That makes me happy because I, you know, I, I, I do have to give you a shout out, Melissa, because you are so badass. Like you're like my idol. <laughs> And honestly, um, the whole crew that we met up with, I wish you were there, Tabitha, because I think we'd have a good time too. <laughs> but, like, I really feel like the whole crew that um, I got involved with had just kicked me in the butt and skyrocketed me, really helped me a lot, you know, as far as trying to just get the word out. And I just want all hygienists to be as passionate as us because it's, it has been a journey. And um, I think when we get all of us, when we get into hygiene, we want to help people. And we all have a little bit of a science nerd in us. Like I just have figured out how to find the science that I want to um, prevent. You know, I want to um, move forward with, you know, and um, have other people know about like, it just blows my mind that there are so many hygienists out there that don't disclose. <laughs> like that's yeah. a number one. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Like you said earlier, it's, it's such, it's like the keys to the compliance kingdom because like we can talk all day long about what we see, but they don't until they see it and they comprehend it, it doesn't make any sense to them. And like we, we talked about this on our home care episode. Like if you don't explain the why behind what we're asking them to do, they're never going to do it. Yeah. And then we're going to be spinning in this land of, you know, you don't brush and floss. So now you make me work harder and now I'm angry and pissed off because we're not getting results. And then that, again, that there's, that leads to the burnout. And there's so much that we have more control over, even though we are in a sense, you know, limited because of our scope of practice, but there's so much we can still control in our operatories, but we give that away. One thing that I started yeah. doing is I actually, with my um, appointment reminder, I put a little note in, bring your toothbrush with you, uh, especially if they are using a power brush. So when um, they come in, they <laughs> So many people have come in with their toothbrush and their little Ziploc baggie. But the <laughs> aha moment when I disclose and they have so much biofilm in there. And then I said, no, are you holding it like this and getting those bristles up under the gum? Well, no, like I have not been, you know, so um, yeah. it's great for them to bring in their own tools that they're using and having to show them how to use it correctly. Like it, it just has made such a huge difference, I, I feel. And they feel like, wow, she's really interested in what I'm doing at home, not just here. It's just not a scrape and polish appointment. Like, so. Yeah, there's a big difference. Yeah, I think that, you know, we've talked about this before and I've been there, unfortunately, where I just got ruled by the clock and I lost sight of what I was actually meant to be doing. 
and I became and I was just becoming like a calculus obsessed and you know and time and get this done kind of appointment and I didn't like it I nearly left dentistry because I was like I actually don't like this my body hurts and this is actually not enjoyable and I think when you can find your passion and realize what we really need to be doing for the patient it's a lot more enjoyable but we can make a big a much bigger difference and it's a shame that so many hygienists are actually pushed not to actually do that preventative side and just to you know get the production done get the calculus done and that's it but I think you know if we can all start pushing for this more holistic approach to to oral health we're going to change the world (laughs) we are man absolutely and that's and and you know like take your power back find your mojo again and step into the role that you are the specialist in prevention of oral disease that is your job no one else's dentists are there to restore teeth you are there to prevent disease oh 100 percent, 100 percent. and it's and it's yeah. bigger than just what happens when you're well and i think once um that the tired hygienist realizes that then a switch goes off you know like it's like a light switch and you i i just want hygienists to feel empowered and to be able to um we're so highly skilled we are i've heard it so many times we're the biggest secret in healthcare like we can do so much for our patients we see all this stuff right up front like and I just want hygienists to be confident in their skills and to be empowered. That's really my platform is where I'm standing right now is, yeah, I have this great office. I'm doing things the way I want to do. Well, I want everyone to do this. I hate it when people say how uh, burnt out they are and, you know, uh, so. <laughs> and I think that's a big thing is that unfortunately, there's been a lot of hygienists or OHTs as we have in Australia as well that have just been pushed down and made not to feel like they're smart enough or they've they can all the what they're capable of. And I hope that that's really the big message that comes across in the podcast is is that we believe in every single hygienist, no matter what corner of the world you're in right now. We're in your corner, and we're cheering for you, and we believe in you 100%. And you are good enough. You passed. You're out there. You're graduated. You, 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 that means you're good enough. All right. So don't doubt yourself and realize that you can elevate yourself to that level if you want to and that and where you want to go. And I really hope that's the other thing people see is from all these varied, amazing guests like yourself and other people that we've had on, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? Like, look, you've built this amazing dental, like freestanding dental clinic. You are really taking control of your career and your destiny with you've got a building, it's in the location you want, you're doing what you want. We can, you know, there are lots of options to do and it just depends on what you want and how you want to do it. Yeah, and and your metrics are going to help hygienists like me in a state where I can't do that say, look what Pam's doing here. Look how many people she's helped. This is what I can do. So stop limiting me and let me have my own damn practice too. (laughs) Can I ask a question, Pam? How come your state got, like how come 
like when did it become a thing in your state in Maine that you could have independent practice? Is that a new thing? Is it really old? Like, and, and how did it? Happen? So um, it's not that new. Um, I first gained independent um, status in 2010, but it had been around since 2008. Um, we in our state have, a, at the time, there was a huge need for access to care and um, state dental programs for children up to age 20, not a lot of dentists. I mean, they pay very little. So a lot of dentists were not seeing this population. And um, so we, as as a group, as a a hygienist at the Maine Dental um, Hygiene Association recognized this and um, I think they pivoted a lot off of Colorado because Colorado, I think, was the um, starting state for all of this and how we could really be, um, be helpful to, to the community. And so that's when that started. We also have um, dental hygiene therapist um, stature that that we could have where we can actually do um, uh, simple fillings and extractions. Um but we don't have a school in the state of Maine that teaches it. <laughs> so we're kind of backwards, you know. And, um, and I, you know, I, I thought maybe I would go ahead and, and go for that at some point. But um, eh, I think I just like what I'm doing now. <laughs> you know? uh, it just yeah. seems like that's yeah. a little, uh, why wouldn't I just go to dental school? Which I was going to right. Um about uh, four years ago, uh, up until about four years ago. And I said, uh, why am I going to go to dental school? I, my, I'll be, I'll be 50 when I graduate with half a million dollars in debt. So I got all the way up to like taking my DATs. And then I said, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. I've, I've pondered that just to help progress hygiene forward. Like, you know, just to have the ability to have my own practice, but like still do hygiene, right? We actually, uh, doc, Marisa Roncati, she's in Italy and she has an amazing textbook. Um, it's, why am I forgetting the name of it right now? I'm not, hold on, I have it right here. I was going to say, that's your, I know. <laughs> that's my Bible. Yeah, non surgical periodontal therapy. This, I'm a tired. <laughs> I worked a lot of hours this week and I woke up at 5.45 for this when I should have been already on. Um, Anyway, so Dr. Marisa Rancotti actually did that. She got her uh, doctorate in dentistry just because she wanted to be able to give injections and do hygiene the way she wanted to do hygiene. So like she's the true badass Mm -hmm. there. And um, please go to uh, Quintessence Publishing, or I think it's even available on Amazon and check out her textbook. It literally, you want to take it to the next level, that would legit be your Bible. Um, So like, that's just so inspirational that she did it just solely for that purpose. So um, I've definitely, it's been spinning in my head for a bit. Like, you know, if if money wasn't an issue, I'd be doing this right now. Yeah, the half a million dollars in debt's not that appealing. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It and doesn't feel like point. No, no. <laughs> Look, Some I think we'll find another way. 
We're really lucky in our role, though, because, you know, there's so much more pressure on dentists to actually not have, you know, they don't have our appointments ever, do they? You know, they don't spend a lot of time with patients unless they're doing a very big procedure. And we really get a unique situation where we get to really build relationships and be friends, you know, be, be friends with our patients. And I actually have to say that if I didn't have that part of dentistry, I probably wouldn't keep the passion. I love hearing about what my patients are up to, what they've been doing, you know, how their kids are going or what's happening. Like, you know, I get to gossip every hour. It's amazing. And it's a new topic every hour too. So it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've had it's one of my favorite things. I know I've had patients that have followed me for 20 years, you know, like no matter where I go, yeah. that they're there. They're like, I'm going where you're going. I don't care. You yeah. know. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. isn't that nice though? It is. It is. It is really nice when that happens. It's like, oh, my God. It's a really good testament to how, you know, you're providing that care and they feel cared for and they come back for that care. And, you know, that says a lot about the treatment they've been getting and the relationships that you're being able to build. And that's a big part of our jobs, building relationships and and creating trust and and all of those things. And so I think that, you know, that's one of the, the great things about our job. Oh, 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you don't like people, this is not your career. No. no. <laughs> people, blood, and some sometimes some a lot of patience is yeah, required. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember being like taking my prereqs before getting into the program at school, and we were in anatomy and physiology lab, and I was chatting with my lab partner and she was like, well, what are you here for? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to get into the dental hygiene program. She's like, me too. And then we were doing something that required blood. And she's like, I hate blood. I said, well, I think you might need to rethink your career choice then. <laughs> well, I love it when a I, patient says to me, oh, I hate, how can you work in someone's mouth? I'm like, well, it's better than the other end. <laughs> you know? like, oh, my God. <laughs> the exact same thing. I say, there's plenty of other holes you don't want to be working in. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Love and, you know, that. Honestly, not to the really like 90-year-old women, I don't say that, but, you know, the ones that you can have a giggle with, I say the same thing and they go, oh, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm up the good end, it's fine. <laughs> right. oh. I don't want to be doing any sampling down the other end. <laughs> no way. Yeah, my jurisdiction is here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think completely off topic again, I think being a podiatrist would be the worst job in the world. Uh, like, I'm like, I'm like, but imagine being a podiatrist. Like, this area is much cleaner. I'm much happier. <laughs> oh, I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say, uh, you know, um, Atul Gawande, he had a great book. Um, I forget the name of it again, like one of those things. But he is saying how the... Um, geriatric doctors, it, that's a real um, lost profession. There's not a lot of people going into gerontology. And one of the things is he worked with a gerontologist and he was saying that if a patient can take care of their feet, then they are much more likely to be healthy um, because of the fact that they're able to bend over, they can take care of their stuff. So I just thought that was kind of interesting as far as Take care of your feet and your mouth. Your yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point, you know, and I just posted on Instagram the other day that like um, 70% of patients 65 and older have some form of periodontal disease. And my whole point of the post was like, to so turn your bite wings vertical, stop taking horizontal. But like, that's a huge 70% of that age has, you know, like that's a big number. So, you know, we don't, we don't always understand how impactful that is. And, and they're, you know, as they change in life, their abilities and such. So something so simple as like putting your own shoes on or washing your feet, you know, like if you can't do that, then yeah, what are we asking? Go home and floss your teeth. Like, come on, get real. They're not going to be able to do that. Like, so, you know, taking that stuff into consideration is such a big piece of, of our care plan for them. I have another question for you, Pam. Um, do you think there's scope for you to be working with dentists that don't have hygienists in the area that they would refer hygiene patients to you and then you would refer patients back to them to kind of build a structured relationship like that where you refer to each other? I actually have a referral source and that is um, part of being an independent practice hygienist. You need to have a referral sur- source. Um So I work with an amazing dentist, uh, Dr. Sarah Bouchard. She just opened her own um, practice in the area. I worked with her previously in private practice as she was an associate and now she's opened her own. And it's kind of funny because the office that she actually um, went into, it was one of my first dental hygiene jobs was the same, (laughs) was the same building. So she redid the whole office and I was like, oh, it's beautiful. But yes, we have a very symbiotic relationship, which is great. Um, Honestly, there are some dentists that are very threatened by the fact of an independent hygienist. Even though they can't see their patients for preventative after COVID, especially like they're booking seven, eight months down the line, um, they can be very protective of keeping their patients in their practice. so there's that part of it. But yes, th- we have to have a referral source. Um, and then the patient can make that decision. Um, and so yeah. it, it just puts puts it on the patient for sure. Um, and in my practice right now, I do take intraoral photos, but I'm not taking x-rays. Um, it's kind of a nod to the dentist um, so that they are going to, you know, that I can't diagnose. So yes, x-rays give me a ton of information as far as bone loss and, and um, tartar and where that type of thing is. Um, but um, that when I'm getting six, seven millimeter pockets, that's when I throw up that slide and I say, you have some bacteria in here, you're coming back to see me, but you really need to go see my colleague who's going to do a really thorough exam for you. And um, we're going to share x-rays, that kind of thing. So um, can we talk about that yeah. a little bit? Um, so I think it's very weird. So is this for every state in America? So I'm sure Australians would like to understand this a little bit more. When you say you can't diagnose, can you, I, like as a hygienist, I have restrictions on what I can diagnose. I can identify some things, but in Australia, I can definitely diagnose periodontal disease. So that's not a problem. And I have to make a diagnosis. Otherwise, I am um, committing supervised neglect in Australia. So in not in, in every state in America, though, you can't diagnose perio, can you? How does it work? So um, 
I'm trying to figure the right way to say this because yeah, we definitely know that there's periodontal disease and um, there are definite um, criteria staging and grading that um, are are pretty obvious. So yes, um, we can't diagnose cavities. We can't diagnose um, uh, the decay, that kind of thing. Um, We can't like, if someone's got a, uh, needs a root canal and there's some um, apical pathology, we can't diagnose that. I can say that here's a suspicious area. Basically, you've got a big hole in your tooth. <laughs> That's, but I can't say it's decay, you know. Um, but it's so funny how you've learned to limbo around It's words. very true, which is kind of <laughs> sad. And, and there is legislation um, right now in my state anyways, that is trying to change that because we, we have to identify these things. Um, so, and we're trained to identify these things, especially caries, caries and periodontal disease. Why aren't we able to use that code, um, to diagnose? So I can, I definitely can do screenings, obviously blood pressure screenings, head and neck, oral cancer screenings. Um, but yeah, technically we can't diagnose, um, yeah, I find it weird that, you know, we get limited like that. It's it's an interesting thing. And I think there's more politics involved in that than the ability of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. I think that we've probably talked for longer than we normally do tonight because we're having too much fun. <laughs> and absolutely. Um, we appreciate what you're doing for the profession, Pam that you are really trailblazing ahead over there and you're elevating hygiene and you're really standing there as an inspiration to many of what can be achieved and what can be done, not just as a hygienist clinically, but what you can do as a boss lady owner. <laughs> yeah. It's kick up and, you know, it it's really, really cool and, um, you know, you're an entrepreneur and that's great to see that skill and that you can be a hygienist and an entrepreneur clinically as well. I think a lot of hygienists think to be an entrepreneur, they have to have kind of side hustle businesses, but you can show that you can own a dental practice, which I think is really There's actually a independent practice uh, not far from myself, but I don't know, 40 miles away. They actually employ a dentist. So they really have got it going on, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It is amazing. That's off to those I know. <laughs> That's the next step, oh, I know, man. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and there are some hygienists that, like, you know, it's, it's per state. Like, I know in New Jersey, I, it is illegal for me to own a dental practice. But I know hygienists in other states that actually are partners with dentists and co-own practices. And, you know, like let your brain imagine amazing things and then dig in and figure out if you could do it or not. Like I am going to, I'm going to try really hard to help my colleagues change things here, but I think I'm just going to peace out and find a new home because <laughs> I want to be able to do what I want to do. Yeah. And um, these, these, we had a meeting um, where, where some hygienists for uh, NJDHA have been working really, really hard trying to get dental therapy passed to our state board. And I logged into the, the state board meeting and we they talked about it for 60 seconds and the moderator shut them down and then they proceeded to talk for 20 minutes about name tags. Yeah. yeah. 
So like, hey, where's this going? You know, like we need to do better. And and it's going to take a lot of education and, and hats off to all of those women that are putting in the hours unpaid, trying to push us forward. I appreciate no, them so much. Me too. Um, but, you know, like we, I guess we have to find a new angle. I'm not really sure, but we, you know, the strategic plan, it, it's tough. It's really hard. Some, some people just don't want to hear what we have to say. And it's, it's really challenging. Yeah, it is. But Pam, when you hire your dentist, can you put him in a small room with the second hand chair? <laughs> and a pedal drill. Give him a pedal drill. <laughs> you upgrade and give him your chair and then give him the, the cupboard, okay? <laughs> Don't mind the autoclave right there. Since we're on movie quoting, I said it yesterday too. Don't put a baby in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> That always happens to hygienists. You know, the dentist gets a new chair and we we get the leftover chair and we get the afterthought room and all of these things. So when you hire your dentist, I'd like him to have the small room with the secondhand chair. <laughs> See what it's like. Here's the closet we converted into a hygiene operatory for you. <laughs> we've we've uh, got this outhouse for you. That will be cool. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Some lovely dentists that listen to us. So we love yeah. you. Mark listens to us all the time. We love you. Yeah, we love you. You in the outhouse. Yeah. We promise. <laughs> there are some others you would, though. There's just years of oppression that we're speaking of in all the good Oppression. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, so, awesome. You know. To the dentists that listen to us, we never put you in the outhouse. We're talking about no, the ones who don't listen. Never, never. <laughs> exactly. and we love you. We would put you, we put you on the pedestal. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'd, I'd just love to give a dentist my secondhand chair one day. <laughs> All right, before we start getting death threats, I think we need to wrap this no. up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you so much not only for sharing your journey with our listeners um also for being a listener and always always shooting us messages and sending us love we appreciate that so much but just thank you for your courage and your heart and your passion to to take this to the next level we're like we're so just in awe of what you're doing keep kicking ass you're amazing and we love you and whatever we could do to continue to support you we're here thank yeah. you i've got to say we love you. Thank, thank you for your support because honestly um and if I can just have a takeaway for people is find a good tribe that is like-minded and you will go so far. Like it is just, you, it can be endless what you can do. Um, just find some like-minded people. And if something piques your interest, watch YouTube and just keep like looking at it and buy books and, um, just, uh, change your mindset. I think we can do quite a bit. Um, as hygienists and yeah. you guys were a big inspiration to that and thank you thank you thank you we love you so uh, until next time disruptors keep on disrupting keep making changes in your operatory each little one has a big impact so never underestimate the ability that you can do um, we love you thanks for listening and we will see you soon see you soon dream big bye <laughs> Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.